This summer, dive into the many cools of San Antonio. Because as soon as the temperature rises, so do the many cool things to do. Come keep cool with amazing pools and the hottest nights at the coolest spots in Texas. Go to visitsanantonio.com slash summer. Is not only a former Republican senator from Pennsylvania and a former Republican candidate for president surprised a lot of people with how well he did when he ran for president. But uh, these days he also happens to be a senior advisor to something called the Convention of States Project. We're going to find out what that is in just a moment. It is Senator Rick Santorum, who's kind enough to stay up late with us this evening. Good, uh, good evenings or really good morning, Senator. It's great to talk with you again. How have you been? I'm doing great, Frank. Thank you for uh, for having me on. And uh, it's actually uh, it's good evening. I'm I'm in I'm in Wyoming, so uh, it's it's still still evening here. Okay, so it's uh, it's still yesterday for you. It's not yet today. <laughs> exactly. Got it, uh, Senator. Before I pick your brain on uh, this movement for a new constitutional convention, you were in the Senate uh, and uh, you had some uh, legendary political and legislative battles. Now, the whole uh, notion of a the Senate filibuster rule is once again being debated and uh, people on both sides of this uh, of the political aisle have talked about whether or not to reform or even end the filibuster for a long time. It was uh, Harry Reid that uh, implemented the so-called nuclear option for judicial uh, nominations, which did away with the filibuster. Then, ultimately, they did away with it for Supreme Court nominations. There's some talk of doing away with the filibuster for legislation itself. As somebody that was in the U.S. Senate, what's your take on the on the filibuster rule, and how do you think, if at all, it should be reformed? Uh, I think it should uh, stay just the way it is. Uh, it's uh, to me the uh, the last uh, linchpin uh, to protect uh, our republic, uh, and particularly to re- to uh, to protect federalism and. Uh, and the reason I say that is that uh, without the filibuster, then we become a majoritarian society. In other words, that uh, whatever the majority wants uh, at, at any given time, it happens. And you say, well, that's a good thing. Well, actually, our founders thought it was a really bad thing. And that, in fact, there were many things put in place uh, to make sure that just the will of the majority didn't happen uh, anytime there was a majority of of of, of thought uh, on a particular issue, and that we we wanted a society that was stable, uh, that that changed slowly, uh, because uh, you know we uh, we wanted to make sure that those ideas that the majority might hold at some point in time uh, were well thought out and 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 were not just a passion of the moment, and uh, and you know we weren't going to be swinging back and forth like we see with. With presidents these days, you know, who uh, because the Congress has been gridlocked, uh, you have presidents who pass all these executive orders. And uh, every four years, you know, we have uh, a fairly dramatic shift in 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 interpretation of laws. And that's that's not healthy for the country. It's not not a good thing for uh, for people who want to have predictability in their lives. Uh, And uh, and so having a higher bar. Uh, to give power to the federal government, to get the federal government to do things than just a simple majority uh, is, uh, is, you know, I think was one of the brilliance of the founders. And, uh, and, and so to me, uh, and, and let me just conclude by this, and it sort of leads into Convention of the States. Uh, 
our founders realized that we were a diverse country at the time we were founded. Now, people say, oh, we weren't diverse. You know, we were predominantly white and all these things. But, you know, diversity isn't just what color of your skin you are or, you know, it, it is your, your thoughts and beliefs. And obviously, if, you're, if you go back to the founding, uh, we had great diversity and great division in the country uh, about how uh, how people should live their lives. And uh, and, you, and some of those things were, were horrific, a slavery being principal among them. Uh, but we were able to come together as a country because we allowed for that diversity from state to state. And and we really, if you think about the history of our country, our country has always been very diverse and very divided. Except for, you know, I, I make the argument for, for about a 20, 30-year period after World War II, where everybody sort of was on the same page. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and, uh, and that's that we're sort of going back to the norm now, uh, where it's okay for California to be fundamentally different, and New York, to be fundamentally different than Alaska and South Dakota. And to have a government in Washington, a majoritarian government in, in Washington, that says we are going to decide how everybody in this country is going to live, and we're going to enforce those rules on everybody, and we're not going to allow you know Kansans to be Kansans, and we're not going to allow Vermonters to be Vermonters, and we're not going to allow Floridians to be Floridians. That's sort of antithetical to what what you know what what our founders believed was an important part of keeping the country together which is allowing differences. If you didn't like living in Florida, you moved. Sure. If you didn't like living in New York, you moved. And that's okay. And, and so it used to be accepted that that was, that was a, a, a rational way to have a country. But now we have most, mostly the progressive left uh, that's, that says, no, everybody has to live by our rules. And that's where we're, we're getting into the trouble. It's not that the country's divided any more than it has been really almost at any period of time in America. It's that we have people in Washington who don't want to allow people to be different where you go from state to state. One of the most uh, polarizing issues that we've seen in Washington, I guess, really over the last 30 years or so, has been the regular confirmation battles in the Supreme Court. Uh, We're expecting President Biden to nominate a Supreme Court justice in the coming weeks. How do you think the Republicans in the U.S. Senate should approach that? Should they uh, offer some deference to the president and uh, and approve or be likely to approve one of his nominations, understanding that it's somebody whose ideology they probably differ significantly with? Or should they make this a, a big battle? Um, you know, unfortunately, um, court uh, court nominations, almost of any any uh, court in America, have become pitched political battles. Um, I can tell you, when I was in the United States Senate, uh, I served under uh, Democrat first and then Republican administrations. And I think my uh, support for uh, judicial nominations uh, for under both was pretty similar. I, I think uh, I voted for like 99% of, of, of Clinton and, uh, and Bush appointees. And you say, well, you know, how can you do that? And and the answer is elections have consequences. People elect the president. When they elect the president, the president gets to appoint justices and judges. And and uh, they're not going to be my judges. I mean, if it's a Democratic president and they're not going to be uh, people that I would necessarily want to put on the court. But that's not, you know, I didn't win. You know, I did, my party didn't win. 
Uh, and so as long as the person has the qualifications, the temperament uh, to be and and is within the, you know, somewhat within the mainstream of judicial thought, then uh, then that person, in my opinion, deserves to be to be uh, confirmed by the Senate. Uh, and I, I would make the same case with, with the Supreme Court. Now, I, I would make the argument that I have not seen a Republican nominee that that doesn't fit that description um, in my lifetime. Mm. Uh, and 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 so and I, and, you know, uh, you, you, I could question whether I've seen a Democratic nominee that doesn't fit that description in my lifetime. Uh, and so we, we'll wait and see. Uh, but, you know, if if the president nominates a qualified person who has, you know, uh, shown good temperament and is and 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 has the requisite skills to do the job and and has a modicum of respect for constitution within the the, the legal theories that are prevalent in the in, on the court today, then that person deserves to be confirmed. Uh, we're talking with. Former U.S. Senator Rick Santorum also happens to be a former Republican candidate for president these days. He's a senior advisor to something called the Convention of States Project. Senator, I've been following the Convention of States Project for literally a few years now and been pretty interested in the work that they're doing. I suspect a lot of people in our audience, this might be the first time that many of them are hearing about this. In Mm -hmm. a nutshell, what exactly is the Convention of States Project? Uh, the Convention of States project is a project that, going back to the point I was making earlier, uh, you know, recognizes that we are we can't succeed as a country, uh, and and uh, as as Washington continues to accumulate power and authority, and becomes more authoritarian, not just Washington generally, with being able to dictate every aspect of our lives. But the president in particular, because what we're seeing is not just a, an authoritarian state becoming more and more prevalent in Washington, but but that the concentration of power within that that's uh, that state in the president of the United States. And so um, there 10 years or so ago, a group of uh, constitutional scholars came together and said, look, there was a mechanism put in the Constitution by our founders to address this very uh, uh, issue. And it's Article Five. So if you, you know, there, there, everybody thinks of the, you know, the, there are 27 amendments of the Constitution, the first 10 amendments, but there are obviously different articles within the original Constitution. Article One uh, created the Congress. Article Two created the President. Article Three created the judiciary, etc. Well, Article Five created a a, uh, a mechanism is the mechanism described by the founders on how the Constitution is amended, and they provide two ways to amend the Constitution. Number one is for Congress to propose amendments. So the Congress can propose amendments to the Constitution, and, uh, and once, it, once Congress passes uh, these, uh, the uh, proposed Constitutional Amendment, it is sent to the states for ratification. Uh, the second uh, opportunity is for the states, through the state legislatures, to come together in a, uh, in a convention to propose amendments. So the Congress can do it, or a convention of states can come together to propose amendments to the Constitution. Now, our founders thought that, uh, from if you read the debates, uh, you know, thought this was uh, this was something that would be used uh, in case Washington basically got out of control. If Imagine Washington that. Decided- yeah, to to sort of roll over the states and roll over the people, and and became this authoritarian power. Which, of course, if you 
you know, listen to the founders. That was the big thing they were concerned about, you know, a king and, a, and an emperor. I mean, if you look at every republic in history, they eventually end up with an emperor. They end up with, you know, being ruled by, you know, by, by, the, by either the mob or by the king or by the, by the emperor. And, and so they provided a mechanism for the people through their state legislatures to be able to come together and say, no, you know, we're going to we're going to propose amendments. We're going to and, and have a process completely outside of Congress, completely outside of, the, of Washington. And so the states can come together. If 34 states agree on a resolution to call for a convention of states. Uh, and those 34 states would have to pass a identical or very similar resolution. Uh, under the Constitution, it says the Constitution says the Congress shall call a convention. Uh, so it's the they send the 34 resolutions, if you will. They, each state sends that uh, that to the Congress. The Congress, once it gets 34 uh, of this uh, of this uh, identical resolution, uh, has to call a convention. And then all 50 states uh, can. They don't have to, but all 50 states can uh, come come to this convention to discuss. Amendments to the Constitution propose it. They, in a sense, become a little convention, a little legislature. They have rules, they have committees, etc., and they will propose amendments. Uh, Twenty-six states have to have to agree. Each state gets one vote. Now you can send a delegation, uh, but every it doesn't matter the size of your delegation. You only get one vote. It doesn't matter whether you're California or South Dakota. Every state gets a vote. Why? Because every state is a sovereign entity and is treated alike. And so uh, that's that's how this process would work. And then, of course, any amendment that is proposed by twenty and, and, and approved by twenty six states. Uh, then goes to the back to these state legislatures again. Congress has no role to play. That goes to the state legislatures, and if 38 state legislatures adopt this constitutional amendment, it's added to the constitution. Uh, now, obviously, I think the one thing that conservatives and liberals are united on is that they're cynical about Congress's ability to get things done these days. If you were to explain to folks what the key advantages of a convention of the states would be, what would you say? Why, for instance, would uh, constitutional amendments or proposed amendments that come out of a, a convention called by the states, why would those be more conducive to effective governance and safeguarding liberty and uh, a better body politic than the legislation that's coming out of Washington? Well, the resolution that is being considered and now now has been adopted by 17 states already in this country. Uh, I'm in Wyoming to talk about it uh, uh, tomorrow, uh, is a resolution that uh, calls for a convention to do three things. And the three things that this convention uh, would be allowed to, three types of amendments that this convention would be allowed to propose is, number one, to limit the terms uh, of federal officials. When I say federal officials, I mean uh, every branch of government. That could be the executive branch, judiciary, Congress. Uh, so it's not just term limits of members of Congress, but it's 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 uh, limiting the tenure uh, uh, of any any person in power in Washington D.C. So that's number one. Number two uh, is to limit the the fiscal uh, uh, the, the spending of the uh, of of Washington D.C. So it could be a balanced budget amendment. It could be a limitation on taxes. It could be a limitation on spending. Uh, any type of 
fiscal limitation would be a, an amendment that would be at order in the, at this uh, convention of states. And the third is a limitation of power. So it would say that the, you know, the federal government uh, can no longer uh, legislate in the area of, of primary and secondary education. So it would get the federal government out of running our, our schools, as an example. I'm not, I'm not proposing that. Whether that is proposed, I don't know. But I'm just giving you an example that they could limit the jurisdiction of the federal government, which if you go back again to Article 1, there are you have enumerated powers. You have powers that are enumerated in Article 1 as to what the Congress can do. And through subsequent Supreme Court cases, those those have been obliterated. And now Congress basically does whatever it wants to do. Well, that's not what was intended. That's not the people. The the founders uh, were very, very concerned about, again, Washington trying to force everybody to be like whoever is in power today. And they wanted a lot of they wanted the respect for people's rights and for the diversity of opinion within America. And uh, and this this process that I've just laid out is our last best hope uh, to to allow America as it was conceived and worked very, very well over a long period of time to continue. You are a rock star in conservative circles, political circles, legal circles. I've seen you at, uh, I think, at least two Republican conventions and uh, you're greeted like a beetle, the, the fifth beetle. If you're going to have a convention of states and those proposals that come out of an Article Five convention need to be uh, need to be voted upon by various state legislatures, chances are that um, those are going to have to be at least some proposals that uh, that people that are left leaning might be supporting as well. I think you make a very good case, whether it's for uh, limiting the uh, the the service of federal officials or uh, fiscal different fiscal responsibility issues as to why conservatives get a lot out of a Article five convention. Can you see people that are on the center left of the political spectrum also supporting this? Yeah, in fact, when I when I give testimony before state legislatures, I, I actually address most of my comments to to Democrats. I mean, Republicans are who are the ones who overwhelmingly support this uh, because obviously they're more concerned about an authoritarian uh, Congress and president and 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 power being concentrated in Washington. But if you if you listen to what the Democrats say now, the question whether they believe it or not, but what you say is, you know, what what was their biggest concern about Donald Trump? He was an authoritarian. He was someone who was going to come in there and and use his power to to you know to to do things that were not what the public wanted him to do. Uh, okay, uh, you know, actually one of the reasons I I found myself now joining the convention of states last year was because some of the things that Trump did I agreed with. I didn't like the way he did it. I think he he was you know, sort of bending the rules a little bit to to uh, to get some of the policies he wanted, you know, adopted. And 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 Republicans cheered him. I, you all might also remember Donald Trump uh, called for the ending of the filibuster. He, he wanted oh, I know. to get rid of the filibuster. Yeah. OK, so and Republicans cheered him that sort of the last chance to hold on to our republic, in my opinion. And, and Donald Trump was advocating for it. So I, I think both parties have sort of lost their perspective because there's there they they see the other side as as almost intrinsically evil and that any means necessary is okay to stop it and and so i look at democrats and say 
you folks say you're really concerned about this, that, you know, we can't have Trump, we can't have anybody like that because they're authoritarian. Well, okay, then stop it. Then stop them from being authoritarian. Take, take some of that power away from them so they can't do these things. And, and allow California to be California. So allow Cal- if California wants to create a single-payer healthcare system, things in the federal government that sort of stop them from doing it, make it really hard for them to do that. Stop. Okay, get those out of the way. Uh, if California wants to do that, if California wants to legalize, pick whatever California wants to legalize. And there's lots of things that, that, sure. that they have and there are would drive me crazy. But if they want to do it, it's okay. I mean, I don't like it, but I don't have to live there. Okay, I can I can live in you know I can live in Pennsylvania. I can live in other states that don't have these radical ideas. And by the way, if they work well and people around the country see them and say, you know what, maybe we should try that here, great. And if they fail, then maybe other states won't be stupid enough to do what California did. But what what we don't want is we don't want California telling everybody they have to live like them, right? That, that they can't impose their values on everybody else. And so to me, this is. This is what uh, and by the way, if a Republican comes into office who's from, you know, from South Dakota, they're not out there basically telling people in New York, this is the way you're going to live by Mm -hmm. the way we live in Sioux Falls. Well, we're not in Sioux Falls. and I don't want to live like people in Sioux Falls. And and from my perspective, that's okay. What what the problem of the left, at least some on the left and not all, but some on the left is they think anything other than what they believe in is evil, bigoted, racist, whatever, and therefore they're going to make everybody comply with what they think. And that is a loser over the long run. That's how you have division breaking out across the country and, and, and a, a country that will, will ultimately fail. What we need is the brilliance of the founders, which is allowing people to live and let live whatever state they are and have the ability in their own local communities and their own states to be able to craft a, a, a society that is that is consonant with their values. I, I could talk with you about this all day, and I hope you'll you'll come back. And I'm not going to keep you up too late because I know you're persuading the people of Wyoming on this front. But in the 200 plus years of the of the Constitution, we've never seen an Article Five convention, and we've seen tough times that the country has faced before. And it's easy to see a number of scenarios in which the country might have benefited from an alternative way of amending the Constitution as compared to the way that the previous 27 amendments came about. Why do you think we've never seen a convention of the states before? Well, I don't think, candidly, that Washington is is anywhere close to being as all-powerful as it is now. I mean, it, it, it just hasn't happened. I mean, if you up until really uh, about 100 years ago, Washington was a backwell little town that really had not much to say about anything. Uh, it wasn't until the passage of the 17th Amendment, which uh, eliminated the uh, election of United States senators by the state legislatures. So you had the election election of United States senators that Washington became uh, started to become a uh, a power center in in America. I know people find that hard to believe, but just you know just go back and look. I mean, where there's no income tax, mm. I mean the the principal revenue of the federal government was on sales of alcohol. 
that was that was the that, that was the that was how most of the federal government money was collected up until uh, about 100 years ago. And, you know, we we've seen a dramatic growth over the past 100 years of the of the power of, of, of Washington, D.C. And it and it continues. And, you know, look, we're looking at 30 trillion dollars in debt. I mean, the, the, we just never see anything like this. And and people have finally said, whoa, what do we what can we do to stop this? Because obviously Washington Republican Democrat can't fix itself. There's just no incentive to fix itself. There's no there's no will to fix itself. And this is why, you know, the, the founders put this provision in there. And if anything, I think the founders would look, you know, if you could sort of bring them forward and, and bring them up the speed of the, of the history of our country. They would they would probably say, why haven't you used this before? If you think about this, people there are people said, oh, you know, what would happen if we ate? You know, all these horrible things might happen. Actually, I, I think the argument can be made is it's highly likely that very little will happen at a convention. Well, stage. well yeah. And that's what some people are saying uh, is that uh, we could go to a lot of effort and maybe even a lot of expense and maybe uh, we wouldn't see the the benefits that some people are, okay. are talking about. It. Right. But, uh, but Senator, we're gonna, I'm going to have to end it there. I really yeah. appreciate you coming on. Uh, I hope we can do this again, maybe in a week or two and continue the conversation. All right. Thanks so much for having me. I Thank you, it. Senator Rick Santorum. If you want to learn more about this, go to conventionofstates.com. You can learn about the Convention of States project. You could sign up to be on their mailing list. That's conventionofstates.com.